Welcome to today's edition of the Career 100 Podcast. Your host, Felicia Gopal, founder of collegefundingresource.com, will be interviewing professionals each week that are currently working in one of the top 100 careers for 2011. This series is designed to introduce students to different career options that are in demand and share the path each practitioner has taken to arrive in their current position. We want to expose you to the varied and distinguished careers of our guests and to perhaps inspire you to consider following in their footsteps or better yet, blaze your own trail. So sit back and relax as Felicia interviews professionals about how they came to be in the top 100 careers. This is Felicia Gopal of College Funding Resource and our continuing talks with various different people in professions that made the top 100 careers for the next decade. With me today, I'm going to have a special guest, Shimoda. Shimoda and I connected because I'm one of those people that always wears the same type of jewelry. If it was a blue suit, I'm always wearing the blue jewelry. But Shimoda was somebody that I came across and met who had very distinctive jewelry. And at first, I just admired it. And then one day, I really just approached her and found out that she made the jewelry that she was wearing. And I have to tell you, a while ago, I purchased a piece, and it's like the light bulb went off for me. And what I mean by that is everywhere I go, people notice the earrings and the necklace that I purchased from her, and I get compliments on it all the time. Now, I've always been on the other side giving the compliments. This is the first time I was ever on the other side where people were giving me compliments on the beautiful jewelry that I was wearing. So jeweler is one of the top 100 careers for the next decade, but the thing that's interesting about that is when I started to do some research on bringing this topic to you, I found that there's all sorts of different aspects of the jewelry business. And so with me today, I have Shimoda, who is a jewelry designer. Shimoda is a mixed medium artist living in Harlem, New York. Her business, Shimoda's Accessory, range in work, including beaded jewelry, which is what I have, bookbinding, collage, and fiber art. So we'll learn a little bit more about that. The collection of Shimoda's accessories is ever-expanding from jewelry to home accessories, and she'll talk a little bit more about that. Her jewelry has been brought to consumers via The Cosby Show, Essence Magazine, Black Elegance, Class, New World, and she's also been in books, including Jumping the Broom, The African-American Wedding Planner by Harriet Cole. And I bought that book when I was getting married, so I know that I saw your jewelry even before I knew you. It's been worn by people like Queen Latifah, Haley Berry, Whitney Houston, Cassandra Wilson, Kim Cole, Vernon Breed, Angela Bassett, actor Ben Kinsley, supermodel Naomi Campbell. Do you understand that this is not your ordinary jewelry? So with me today, I have one of my favorite guests in the whole wide world. Her name is Shimoda. So Shimoda, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the call. Thank you, Felicia. You make me smile when you said everything you said. That sounded great. It's like, who is that person? (laughs) I definitely know what you're talking about. So what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of sit back and talk about your journey into the jewelry business and how you got started. So let's start there. How did you get started in the jewelry business? Well, I grew up in Queens, and my parents were artists, even though they worked regular jobs, city jobs. My father, he made furniture, he was a photographer, he drew, he fixed cars, he just did everything. And my mother made hats and clothes. So I had art around me growing up, 
And during high school is really when I guess I started selling my work, which I was embroidering people's name graffiti style on their jean jackets, on the side of their leg of their jeans. My mother had taught me embroidery, and I just did that. But then in the 10th grade, I took music. I learned how to play the flute. So actually, I was going to be a jazz musician. And I would go on Saturdays, me and my friends from Queens, we would get on the train and go to Harlem and take these jazz mobile classes, which was learning from the great jazz musicians. And I just kept up with that when I graduated high school and did a little bit of college and was still going to Jazzmobile. And then one day, going home from work, I was working at Barnes & Noble at the time, I heard a voice that said, you want to learn how to make jewelry. And it's not like I saw anything in the store window, anything like that. It was just this voice. And I remember saying to myself, okay, that's something I hear every day. Then the next day, going to work, I ran into my girlfriend, Monifa, who makes jewelry. And I haven't seen her in a long time. And I said, oh, Monifa, I want to learn how to make jewelry. Where do I go? Because I had no idea how to make jewelry. And she says, oh, I'm looking for an apprentice. I'll teach you. So it's definitely in divine order that I make this jewelry. Then at one point, I was still working. I was still playing the flute and making jewelry. And then by that time, I worked at another job, Department of Corrections, and I was doing shows, craft shows on the weekends. And then after a while, I felt like I couldn't continue with the music and the jewelry and working. So I dropped the music off and just stuck with the jewelry. So I've been doing it for many years. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but let me see if I understand it. So you were headed on a path where you're going to be a jazz musician. Mm -hmm. And then from jazz musician, you heard a voice that says, learn to make jewelry. And then you ran into your friend the very next day and your friend who made jewelry says that I'm looking for an apprentice. And then you started being trained under her. Am I correct in hearing that you didn't necessarily go to school to become a jeweler? No. When I graduated high school, I went to Baruch College, and the only reason, it's a business college, and my parents were saying, like, you need to have a job that pays money, and, you know, like musicians don't make money. So I was on the track to do computer science and realized that I hated it. And so I then got a job in Barnes & Noble and just continued with music. But then once I started making the jewelry, I would take different classes, like the YMCA or the YWCA had classes in jewelry making, and I would just search out different places that had these classes. I didn't know. I didn't go to college for it, but I took different classes all over the place. There's a way to get educated about going into the jewelry business, and in particular, your aspect of it as a jewelry designer of it, but it wasn't a formalized, I went to college, I got this particular degree, and then from there, I then went in, you know, I majored in jewelry design, and now I'm a jewelry designer. So it was less formal than that. And I think that's an important thing. While my business is all about college, 
it's also about uh, students understanding that there's all sorts of different pathways to get to a career of things that you enjoy doing. I think that's an important thing, is it may not be a necessarily formalized route in terms of you take this class as an undergrad and then later on you become a jewelry designer. It may be something a little bit more informal where you're able to pursue your interests. So what sorts of classes did you take as you got more and more skilled as a jewelry designer? Well, also I want to mention that during the time when I started making jewelry, I was working at Barnes & Noble. I was in college for about a year and loved the music classes because, of course, I was still taking the music classes. For me, I felt college wasn't for me because I knew there were classes that I had to take that I didn't want to take. And I remember taking an economics class and knowing, feeling like, okay, I'm definitely going to pass this. I was studying, studying, studying. And then when I took the test and I found like I got a D, it's like, what happened? (laughs) So for me, college just wasn't for me because I wanted to learn what I wanted to learn. So since I was got the job at Barnes & Noble, all those books there, I got to read so many books of so many different subjects that was available to me that I would have known if I didn't work at Barnes & Noble. So I would buy books on jewelry making. I would buy books on jewelry from Africa, from different countries, so I could see how their jewelry is made and how they design their jewelry. Classes that I've taken. When Monifa first started teaching me, she does metalwork and beading. And I did learn a little metalwork, but I really wasn't interested in the metalwork in terms of soldering and polishing the metals that you make, the pendants and what have you. I would just wasn't interested in that. I gravitated more towards the beading. So I used a lot of stones and glass beads and pearls. So I brought books on beading. And now there's so many magazines out now on beading and learning different techniques. It's amazing. Well, what are some of the magazines that are out there on beading? There's one that I used to subscribe to called Beads and Button. And there's another one, Ornament Magazine, a great magazine that focuses on artists, bead artists. Now they focus on beads and metal workers and fiber artists. But that was a magazine I subscribed to long ago, probably when it first started. And I was very inspired and had gotten a lot of ideas from that magazine. But now I'll go to Barnes & Noble, my favorite store, and go to the magazine section and just flip through the bead magazines, the fiber magazines. I just go there and just get ideas. So is it fair to say that you get your design inspiration from looking at the bead magazines, or is there more to your process? More. Nature inspires me, colors, colors of flowers. I remember one time looking through this book of uh, sea life, and the colors of the fish was really amazing because I like bright colors. And so Mm -hmm. I'm inspired by that, art books, magazines. I love walking around in the city and sometimes even buildings, the way that buildings are designed, inspire me, architecture. So I just look at a lot of different things, a lot of things. And you have a process when you're creating a piece? I mean, you you have somebody in mind when you're creating your design, or are you just creating something that you think is beautiful that you want to present to somebody? Well, I always want to create something beautiful. 
that indeed. My process is like, let's say I'm creating a necklace. Mm-hmm. I, I collect all kinds of beads and pendants and what have you. I would focus on a pendant. Let's say I'll go through all my stuff and say, okay, I want to make a necklace out of this particular pendant. And then I'll look to see, okay, what are the colors in that pendant or what colors do I want to use? Then I have drawers and drawers of beads and stones and what have you. So then I'll pull out the different drawers and figure out, okay, maybe this bead would go with it. I'll just pull out different beads, and sometimes I might get to that point and just get up from my desk and go do something else because sometimes I just need it to marinate in my mind. As I have no idea what the piece is going to look like. I don't draw anything out beforehand. Then I might go back to my desk. And what I do think about in terms of the customer is, like, how long do I want the piece? Do I want it to fit really close to the neck? Is this like a choker? Or do I want it really long? And once I decide that, then I'll cut my cord, my threads, and then I'll start playing around with the beads and start stringing, put the pendant on first, and then stringing around the pendant to see what comes from that. And then sometimes I don't like it, and I could spend hours on it. And it might be a certain part where it's like, I don't like the way this is going. And then I'll just take it out again and start all over. So that's really kind of my process. So it can take a long time to make a piece. And usually that piece is a -a one-of-a-kind piece. So are most pieces one-of-a-kind, or do you kind of have a marriage between the two? There's some one-of-a-kind pieces and then some pieces that are more commercial in your intent. I think most of my pieces are one of a kind, and then the pieces that I might make consistently would be like some of the earring designs that I have noticed that people like a lot, so earrings that I make over and over. But I do have one of a kind earrings also, yeah. And then I make bracelets too, but my bracelets are mostly one of a kind. So you've talked about you've got beads and you've got pendants that you've kind of picked up. Is there a particular type of materials that you use, and why do you choose to work in that medium versus another? I know that you said that you weren't particularly interested in the metalwork that your mentor was focusing on, and you went more towards the beads. I'm wondering how do you select the materials that you use, and why do you select various different things. You've talked a little bit about colors and being inspired by colors. Yeah, I love colors. And to go back on that metal part, I don't like to do the metal work, but I do like using metal pieces, metal pendants. And I'm just really starting to use a friend of mine's work who does fabulous metal work. His name is Samaj. And I'm starting to use his pieces. And I love how I choose my beads. I love colors. I love very colorful bees. I like the different shapes. I like using pearls. I like using the freshwater pearls. And freshwater pearls is not your white traditional pearls. Pearls can come in different colors now and different shapes. So I like mixing pearls with bees that you normally don't use with pearls like African beads, different stones. The stones I use are like the amethyst, the rose quartz, and some stones have different properties, like rose quartz represents compassion and love, turquoise represents creativity, peace of mind, lapis, mental clarity. But when I make the pieces, I don't think of what they represent. 
really I have my spirit, my intuition goes into creating the pieces. So when I create the pieces, like I said before, I don't know what it's going to look like. But then when I show it, people are so gravitated towards it. When you mentioned how when you brought my piece and that people make comments how they love it, I hear that all the time. My customers say that people always stop them and ask them about the jewelry. And I'm always amazed. But I think that happens because I'm just letting the creativity flow through me. I don't know what it's going to be like, but it's just flowing through me and whatever comes out comes out. And I just am grateful that it comes out that way. Well, I think you really hit on a key point. As a business owner myself, I know that one of the things that I'm always trying to be is I'm trying to be creative. I'm always trying to create things that are not like everybody else is doing. But you can't necessarily see it in the same way that you can see a piece of jewelry being very distinctive. And I know that you've had the opportunity to have your pieces worn by lots and lots of incredible people, including Whitney Houston, Haley Berry, Queen Latifah. How did those opportunities get created for you? Okay, what happened was when I was still working, and at that time I was working for Department of Corrections, my friend had her own business, and she was representing different artists, taking our work to different stores, magazines. That's how my work got on the Cosby Show. So she had approached Essence Magazine and had showed them my work, and they loved it. So anytime they was doing a story on somebody or a fashion shoot, they would borrow my jewelry. And also during that time, I wanted to leave my job and do this full-time, but I was really afraid. And I have my cousin, Kaitha, who's another artist. She would tell me, you need to leave your job and do your jewelry full-time. But, you know, it's a scary thing. And I had my parents in my back of my mind saying, you got a security job and you get health benefits and stuff like that. So my friend took my jewelry to Essence Magazine. And it's like, okay, you know, sometimes when they take your work, you never know if it's going to get in the magazine or not. They might use it, but it might get on the cutting floor. So during the time when I was working and I had just gotten married, and I put in for a leave of absence. That's a safe way of leaving a job and seeing if it will work out. And what had happened was got married, went on the honeymoon, came back, and got this letter from the job saying that your leave has been denied. So either I had to quit or I had to go back to work. And I showed it to my husband. And he says, you know, you want to leave, leave. I'll support you, which was so wonderful of him. And at the same time, my jewelry was on the cover of Essence magazine. And Naomi Campbell was wearing my long, dangly earrings. And on her wrist was all these bracelets that I made. And that was confirmation. Like, okay, it's time. It's time for you to do what you really love to do because I hated being at this job. So it was just like the heavens opened up for me. So that's how my work started getting in essence. And then they started using my jewelry a lot. Well, that is an awesome opportunity. So it was really starting and having a support system that supported you, leaving a job and having friends who had connections that could open doors for you, that gave you 
the validation that perhaps it was time to move on. So if somebody was interested in being a jewelry designer, what would you say to them about taking their hobby, their craft, their passion, and turning that into a money-making venture? Do you have some advice for somebody who is looking to perhaps follow in your footsteps? Yes. In terms of money-making, I mean, there was days I would be in here making jewelry, and sometimes I would have shows to sell my jewelry, and sometimes not. And I knew that marketing was a big component, but I never gave myself time to actually do that. And marketing, what I mean is in terms of letting your customers know that your jewelry is for sale, letting them know that you can come see me at this show, really getting out there and letting my customers know. So one important thing is the people that buy the jewelry, I always get their emails, their physical addresses, and create a list. And what I did, and you know about this, that we was in this marketing group together where we was told that we need to do newsletters. And I always heard about doing newsletters, but I was always very resistant. But I started doing it, and it's really, really great. It's just a one-page newsletter we could do front and back because it's like keep it simple. For me, it's keep it simple because I still have to make the jewelry. I still have a lot of other things I have to do in terms of mailing this newsletter out. So I mail it out to, like, my top 100 clients. And they love it, and it keeps me in their mind. And there are certain people, when I do send out newsletters, they always call me and say, oh, I need such and such an earring, or I want to come over, I want to see what you have. So it's like marketing is so important in terms of getting the word out about you and let people know what are you doing, what's up. And it's great to have a website. I just recently redid my website, and so now I'm selling jewelry on my website. Because I used to travel a lot and do shows in New Orleans and Atlanta, California, and I kind of slowed down with doing those shows. So my customers that live in those areas, they need a way to buy my jewelry to see what I'm doing. So having a website is a great way of having them to purchase new jewelry and going on my blog to hear what's the latest thing that I'm doing. So basically what you're saying is some of the advice that you would have for somebody who is looking to follow their passion into jewelry designer and make it a money-making activity is once you've had a sale, really start to take their information and build a list, continue to market to them through a newsletter. And then also the final piece that you talked about was having a website so that people who were not in your local area that would see you every day could go on and see your website and purchase jewelry so they continue to get all the fabulous jewelry that you continue to create. Yes, and also, if you know you're doing a show, a craft show, definitely mail out your own postcards. I mean, shows usually say that, you know, we're going to promote it, but you want to have your customers come to you. So it's just so important to send out postcards. And I know that people send out emails, but my email box is so full that I don't always get to see all my emails in time. So you might send out an email about a show, which I still do, but I really focus on sending out postcards. As somebody who receives your postcards, I know that because you always put out very colorful postcards that have 
pictures of your jewelry as a reminder, they really kind of stand out. And I tend to not just receive it, but I tend to receive it and then post it to the sign so that I can make sure that I've kind of made a mental note that even if I can't make the show, that maybe I want to go online or maybe I want to reach out to you and call you and say, you know what, I really like this one piece that you featured. I'm wondering if there was any distinctive pieces that you've ever created that really were for a particular person. And could you tell me a little bit about how that came about? I created a necklace, and the pendant that I used was by my friend Samaj. And what it is, it's a silver ankh, and that represents family. And what I used was pearls and different stones, and it has tassels that you can put in the front or have it drape in the back when you wear it. And this piece is what I made for Michelle Obama. Now, I haven't gotten it to her yet, but it definitely will get to her. But I was thinking about her because I made the necklace for her, the earrings, the bracelet, and also for her daughters, small earrings for the daughters and bracelets for them because I could definitely see them wearing my work. It definitely would go with the fashion that they're wearing, and it just adapts to my jewelry. You could wear dressed up or dressed down. It just really adapts to whatever you're wearing. Well, I could definitely testify to that because the piece I purchased from you is something that I wear with my jeans and it looks fabulous and I can wear it, you know, with a suit and it looks fabulous and I can wear it with my work clothes. I mean, it's just a very versatile piece and I can wear it in so many places and the thing that I think is really kind of cool about it is I get compliments wherever I wear it. (laughs) You know, people will stop you on the streets when they are wearing a piece of Shimoda's jewelry. That's so great. I love it. I love when I hear that. So why do you think that being a jeweler or being in the jewelry industry is one of the top 100 careers for the next decade? I think maybe people are getting more creative. Making jewelry, when I'm sitting down making jewelry, I just feel so happy. It's just such a happy feeling. And when people tell me that they make jewelry, or sometimes I teach a class, and they are just so thrilled that they're making something for them, that they can create something that will go with a particular outfit. I think maybe people are tired of office work, being on the computer all the time, so they need to have their own self-expression, and they look at jewelry that way. And like I said, when I go to the Barnes & Noble and look at the magazines, I see all these bead magazines now. It's like I could definitely see that there must be a huge demand for these magazines. And I just feel that they could just be creative and instead of working an office job, they can have their own career and own business in terms of being creative and making jewelry for themselves and for other people. I just get a sense they get a lot of joy out of doing it. And it's great to see that people who buy their work get a lot of joy out of it also. I just wanted to ask, do you have any final thoughts, any final things that you'd like to say about being a jewelry designer or the road to being a jewelry designer for the students who might be listening to this? Have fun. Talk to other artists. I get so many ideas and support from other artists. It's just amazing. I joined a Harlem Arts Alliance 
which is a group that meets monthly, and over 100 people come to that meeting. And it's just amazing to hear what other artists are doing. You get great ideas. It doesn't necessarily have to be another jewelry artist that you get an idea from. It could be uh, theater people, painters. So I just say talk to other artists. I like going on other people's blogs and to see what their artwork is all about. And have fun. It's about having fun. That's what I would have to say. Having fun and expressing yourself would be the the way that I would kind of sum up what I've heard you say in today's interview. So, Shimoda, if people were looking for additional information and they wanted to perhaps see this work that's been worn on the Cosby Show and worn by all these great artists, where would they get additional information about you? They can go on my website, which is www.shimoda-accessories.com, and I'll spell that. That's S-H-I-M-O-D-A hyphen accessories, A-C-C-E-S-S-O-R-I-E-S dot com. And if they want to give me a call, my number is 212-491-6726. All right, everybody, this ends today's interview with Shimoda, Shimoda of uh, Shimoda's Accessories. Talk to us today about her road to becoming a jewelry designer. And I want to say thank you because while my field is about helping kids go to college, I do realize and recognize that college is not the right road for every student. And there's lots of ways of being educated about coming into a career. And Shimoda today talked about her way in, which was having a voice tell her that she needs to learn how to do jewelry, being mentored by somebody about becoming a jewelry, starting to look for ideas and get her education through magazines as well as other courses that she took. So she took a more non-traditional route, but the end game is she's a very successful jewelry designer, and so there's lots of ways to get to the end of the top 100 careers for the next decade. So I just want to thank Shimoda for being here today. Felicia, you mentioned the voice. Just one other thing. I just want to let you know that the voice, the intuition, that really moved me forward. And I know everybody has that voice. It's just listen, listen to that voice and see what it says and follow through on it. Because I realized that's what really pushed me to where I am today. And I'm still listening to that voice. So thank you so much for having me, for interviewing me. Oh, it was my pleasure today. And if you want to listen to more interviews, keep coming back to collegefundingresource.com, and we'll be interviewing other experts who can share their experiences with you. I thank you very much for being here, and I hope that you can join us in the future. Thank you for listening to today's edition of the Career 100 Podcast. We hope you'll join us again for our next podcast, where we'll continue to interview experts in the top 100 careers for 2011, giving you the insider's view of their chosen profession. If you'd like more information about planning and saving for college and to instantly download your free copy of College Funding Resources Report, Five Strategies That Parents Need to Start Using Today to Cut Their College Costs Tomorrow, visit www.collegefundingresource.com. That's www.collegefundingresource.com. This is Kathy Davis for the Career 100 Podcast.